You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. To support this podcast, go to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and click Donate. The poverty of the poor is not a call to generous relief action, but a demand that we go and we build a different social order. This is Herb Montgomery with Renewed Heart Ministries, and I want to welcome you to episode 255 of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. It's a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee might have to offer us today in our work of survival, resistance, liberation, reparation, and transformation. Our title this week is Another World is Possible, Part Three, and our feature text is Mark 10, 21 through 24. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And this week, as we're wrapping up our series, I want to focus on this section of, of Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 10. And, and a statement that I haven't been able to get out of my head this week is, is Gustavo Gutierrez's uh, statement in The Power of the Poor in History, where he wrote, The poverty of the poor is not a call to generous relief action, but a demand that we go and we build a different social order. Um, Jesus was doing that type of uh, work. He was engaging uh, the call to, to, for us to build a different social order. And in this passage specifically, he's inviting a wealthy inquisitor uh, to join him in, in, in practicing Jesus's um, new social order of, of, of a preferential option for the poor. And, and as we re- return to this passage, I'm, I'm reminded of a, a discussion I had years ago with a, a pastor while I was visiting his church. And he confronted me with my concern for the poor. And he said that he said the rich need the gospel too. And he felt that plenty of churches in his area that they practice charity. And, and remember, that's not justice. It's it's charity. Um, they, they practice charity for the poor, but he believed he was called to lead his church to minister to the spiritual needs of of the wealthy. And as he continued to explain why he didn't focus on poverty, which a poverty is a poverty I believe is, is created by the current social order, my mind wandered back to, to the very passage we're looking at this week. So let's take a closer look at it. The, the first thing we see in this passage is Jesus's love for this man. He doesn't hate the wealthy. Uh, Mark's Jesus loves both the rich and the poor. And the system that creates wealth disparity with with concentration of riches on one side of the spectrum and, and poverty on the other, it dehumanizes both the rich and the poor. It dehumanizes both differently, but both ends of the spectrum are, are dehumanizing. And whereas poverty steals a person's humanity, wealth can cause people to lose their connection with and, and become isolated from their own humanity and forget their interconnectedness with the humanity of others. And in this context, Jesus's love for this uh, young rich man 
that love speaks to me. Jesus, Jesus loves him and thus seeks to reconnect with him and reconnect him with the humanity of, of the poor and, and, and thus his reconnect him with his own humanity as well. Wealth redistribution is rooted in regarding our humanity, no matter which section of the wealth poverty spectrum you find yourself on, whether you're on the wealthy side or the impoverished side. Wealth redistribution, it's rooted in reconnecting or regaining, reclaiming your humanity. And I agreed with my pastor friend that Jesus loves the rich too, but it's because he loves them that he calls them to join him in his service to the poor. Jesus, and and catch this, this is important. Jesus didn't minister to the wealthy and the poor differently. He practiced a preferential option for the poor and he called the wealthy to join him. Jesus didn't minister to the wealthy by ignoring the poor. Jesus ministered to the rich young man by calling him to go and sell everything he had and give it to the poor. Jesus ministered to the rich of his own society by calling them out of a system that created gross wealth disparity and into a system that redistributed that wealth and that recognized the humanity of everyone and that that distributed justice it it was a call to ensure that everyone had the means that they needed to survive and to thrive. And my pastor friend argued that this was only counsel. He said his next argument was that this was only counsel. This is only teaching for this one young man in the story. And, and, and certainly Jesus saw the unique needs of, uh, of this specific young man, but, but, Two, in, in Luke and Acts, um, in both of those um, um, uh, books, this was not a, a unique teaching for, for just one isolated rich young man. It was one that Jesus gave to his entire audience in, ma- in mass. In Luke 12, 32-34, we find, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you, plural, the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out a tree treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near, no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And in Acts, which is believed to have been written by the same author as Luke, the very first thing that followers of Jesus are characterized by, uh, it's these kinds of actions. And in Acts 2, 40-45, we find those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching into fellowship, into the breaking of bread, into prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many words and wonders and signs performed by the apostles. But then notice this, and all the believers, how, how many of them does it say there? All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And in Acts 4, 32-35, uh, the entire community, it practiced this preferential option for the poor to the extent that uh, the wealth disparity was replaced. It was it was done away with among them. It was replaced with a, a distributive justice where there were no more poor among them. We find these words, 
All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need." Uh, but, but but like the young man in the story above in Mark, um, my pastor friend, he chose to go a different route. And and I've often, that, that's, that's how our interchange ended. I've not been back to that church. Um, but as I've often quoted James Robinson in his book, The, the Gospel of Jesus, A Historical Search for the Original Good News, he, he puts it this way, Jesus's basic issue, still basic today, is that most people have solved the human dilemma for themselves at the expense of everyone else, putting them, putting them down so as to stay afloat themselves. This vicious antisocial way of coping with the necessities of life only escalates the dilemma for the rest of society. I'm hungry because you hoard food and you're cold because I'm hoarding clothing. Our dilemma is that we all hoard supplies in our backpacks and put our trust in our wallets. Such security should be replaced by God reigning. And by that, uh, Robinson is referring to the kingdom of God, which means both what I trust God to do, that is to activate you to share food with me, and what I hear God telling me to do, that is to share clothes with you. We should not carry money while bypassing the poor or wear a backpack with extra clothes and food while ignoring the cold and hungry lying in the gutter. This is why the beggars, the hungry, the depressed are fortunate. God, that is those in whom God rules, those who hearken to God, will care for them. The needy are called upon to trust that God's reigning is for them. Theirs is the kingdom of God. Jesus's message was simple, for he wanted to cut straight through to the point. Trust God to look out for you by providing people who will care for you and listen to him when he calls on you to provide for them. And after the wealthy young man departs in Mark, the story shifts to Jesus' interchange with his disciples. It's, Jesus turns to them and, and says how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the idea that, that, that Jerusalem had a, a very narrow, uh, what some refer to as a needle gate, and that, that merchants had to unload their camels and have their camels Animals kneel down through that gate. That's a fiction that was made up in the 15th century. And we, we know of no narrow gates in Jerusalem. And, and there are none named the Needle Gate, not in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, or, or Galilee. And, and on interpreting this passage, I actually I land instead with scholars like Stant Latour, who, and I'll put a link to his article in this week's eSight, but who suggests that Jesus said it's easier to thread one of the big ropes that's used by the fishing community, which many in his audience were, were familiar with um, uh, coming from the fishing community, it was easier to, to thread one of those big ropes through the eye of a sewing needle than it was for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And in Aramaic, this makes sense. The words for rope and camel, they have the same exact spelling. Aramaic didn't use vowels, so these words would have been pronounced differently, uh, but written the same way. So, so think about how scribes would have responded 
responded to that. It would have been easy for them to write down camel instead of rope. And in Greek too, specifically the common Koine Greek of, of the working and poor people, the words for rope and camel in Greek, they're also very similar. The difference is just a single vowel. You have camelos, which is with an E, which is camel, and you have camelos, which is with an I, which is uh, a rope. But the pronunciation is the, is the same. And the meaning of the, 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 the phrase, wh- however you translate it, whether it's rope or camel, the meaning of the phrase remains the same. It's impossible for either a camel or a large fishing rope to be threaded through a, a small sewing needle. And Jesus isn't here making it hard for, for rich people to, to enter his kingdom of, of resource sharing, of mutual aid, of cooperation, and a, a just distribution of resources needed for survival and thriving. Instead, he's simply being honest about how difficult it is for people with accumulated wealth to embrace this new world. A rope or a camel, it won't fit through the eye of a needle. And for the rich to enter Jesus's new human society here and now, they must be willing to let go of their wealth and embrace a distributive justice where everyone has enough. And and again, Jesus isn't picking on the rich. He's simply saying that in his vision for human society, there's no longer a wide chasm between the rich and the poor. His vision is a a society where everyone has enough to thrive. There is no more rich. There is no more poor. The, the, The sun shines and the rain falls indiscriminately on on all. And today, we live in a world where the few who are on top, they're striving to maintain their position of control. But if if one looks on the horizon, a new day is coming. And, and will that new day bring a world that's safe and just and compassionate for everyone, regardless of their race, their gender, their orientation, their gender identity and expression, their, their current economic status, their ability, their age, their education? whether it does that or not, it's up to us. We can make it that way if we choose to. I believe another world is not only possible, but it's coming. Change is coming. And let's make those choices. Um, Make the choices that ensure that the, the change that comes that that changes for the better. Mark 10, 21 through 24, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. Hard group application this week. As of yesterday, this is Friday, as of yesterday on Thursday, uh, that, that was the, the U.S. Supreme Court deadline uh, for, for returning children to their families at the border. Over 900 parents are, are still separated from their children. And here are three ways that your heart group this week can do something. Number one, if you live in a border state, you can volunteer at an organization that's engaging the work of, of, of helping families that have been separated that's in your area. Also, 
also, if a, if a protest is happening in your area, you can show up and participate. Number two, if these aren't an option, if you don't live in a border state or you can't get to, the, to these locations, you can donate to organizations who are involved and who need your support. And one such organization, which I, I know of some of the ones who are, are involved in this organization personally, it's the New Sanctuary Coalition. And this is a, a coalition comprised of, of folks at Auburn Theological Seminary and, and many more. I'm going to put a list of all the different organizations that are that are in this coalition uh, working together in this week's e-site. But you can support their work to help reunite families by going to newsanctuarycoalition.nationbuilder.com forward slash family underscore reunification. And if, if, if you need that to see that, um, I'll, I'll put that link in this week's e-site as well. You can click on it there. And lastly, number three, contact your local elected representatives. It's important that, and I can't stress how important it is that we continue to express express our, our outrage against the current policies. Let them know um, how, how opposed you are to what's going on right now. Thanks for checking in with this week, wherever you are this week, right where you are. Keep living in love, survival, resistance, liberation, reparation, and transformation. Together, we can make our world a safe, just, compassionate home for us all. Another world is possible. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.